0: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, we have a really fun guest, my old friend, John Max. He was Jay Leno's top writer during Jay's time as the host of Late Night and, and still writes for Jay. He's produced over 200 live TV shows, and that includes 24 Academy Award shows. He's also a speechwriter who's worked for a ton of American politicians, a couple dozen senators, uh, and been involved in presidential debate prep for quite a while as well. And, you know, John, I want to start, first of all, thanks for being with us today.
1: First of all, it's great to see you again. It's great to see you. I think the last time was probably 2008 in Denver, walking through a hotel at the convention somewhere. It's like, hey, there's Joe. Uh, (laughs) No,
0: it's true. But I want to, I want to introduce you by talking just briefly about 1986, uh, when there were three of us, a guy named James Carvel, that at that point, no one had ever heard of. Uh, no one had ever heard of any of the three of us, to be well, honest. To be honest yeah, yeah, you, know, uh, you were the press secretary, and I was the work running around putting shoots together for the media firm, Doak, Doak and Shrum. And, and it was for Bob Casey, for governor of Pennsylvania, way back in 1986. And while we were doing that, uh, and by the way, no one thought we could win.
1: No one. No one thought we could win the primary. No one thought we could win the general. Uh, you know, as Carville would say, to still, and I talked to James still two or three times a day. Oh, wow. And, and his, I mean, his my closest friend since those days, James said, John, it wasn't for those 50,000 votes in the Republican T section of Pennsylvania. He goes, You'd be driving a cab and I'd be dead.
0: No, it's true. It's absolutely true. No, that thing put all, a whole bunch of people on the map. And uh, I just, uh, I wanted to talk about it because I think people don't have, you know, yeah, there was a time it's 1986. There's no way Bob Casey was supposed to win his son. Now the senator was running around, you know, was a, 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 a great kid, but none of us would have thought he'd become the senator of uh, in, in the state of Pennsylvania, you know, US senator. Um so anyway, I wanted to, to talk about that for a bit, but during the whole time, you're just cold sending stuff to a guy named Jay Leno. Can you explain what you were doing?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, first of all, the fact that we work for a guy whose nickname was the three-time loss from Holy Cross. Right <laughs> not a good is an indication that maybe you're 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 gonna do it. But again, as I always said, no one would hire James, no one would hire me. No one probably other than Dokon no Trump with Harry <laughs> the time. Yeah. And then it was like, yeah, you know, the next day, you know, James said, you know, we ought to all move to Washington, DC. This is gonna be good. The uh, I was always interested in writing comedy. And uh I always thought that I that, that I could. I remember when I was 15, I sent jokes into Johnny Carson and I was so excited and I got an envelope back unopened with basically we don't read anything. Uh, <laughs> And I started and then, but I actually didn't start with Jay till a few years later. I was uh, I was Saw so he opened and uh, he was playing at Wolf Track. And I saw he bought jokes from uh, freelanc- from freelancers. And uh, I said, well, well, I'll do that. So I sent a, 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 a well, you know a note with uh, to NBC and they forwarded it and I got an independent contractor agreement back and it was I thought this is pretty impressive. I said they must really think I'm something. And it said they'd pay $50 for any joke he used. And I didn't know there was 900 freelancers. Right. I, if I had known that, I would have given up. So I would go when I was still doing some TV ads for campaigns, doing the same thing you did back then. Right. i you know write jokes on the plane. i go into the hotel. i pay the hotel clerk $10 to use their giant you know Altair 600 computer. i type <laughs> them up, and I would fax them into Jay. And, uh, this was when he was guest hosted for Carson and, uh, one day a week. And then he started, they named him as the permanent host to take over in 92. And he was by them and I get my $50. And then in February 92, I got a call. Uh, and he said, uh, yeah, I'll do my bad accent. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. I like your work ethic. Uh, you could want to be considered. So the answer is always yes. Right. And he called me a couple of weeks later and said, you know, you've got the job. It's 13 weeks, May 92. And I'm there. Well, I, I was working with Carl Struble and Glenn Tottenman. Doing oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, you know, I don't know, Jay, I got this other job. Because we'll try it for 13 weeks. So I told Carl and Glenn, I can do both. So I <laughs> do it on the plane or whatever. And then uh, uh, I, November of 92, uh, I basically moved out there. I was doing everything from distance and I never went back. And so I was with Jay all 22 years, Uh, 4,610 shows.
0: Amazing run, man! Really was.
1: It was uh, the other way to look at it is no one else would hire me. You could also look (laughs) at that. You know, it's well I stayed there the whole time. Well, did you want to do anything else? No one offered. You know.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to level set for people that you know you're someone who I always thought. I mean, and particularly working day to day with you in the in that campaign in '86, and 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 then through the next generations with. With Carvel and watching, you know, somebody who's really gets politics and, and and very quick to read what's going on. And then at the same time, has was smart enough to leave it. <laughs> I, mean, a, I mean, smarter than Carvel or myself, at least in terms of like getting the hell out of it, uh, you know, before it killed you. And at the same time, totally get to something that I've wanted to talk to you about, which is you know, the, the impact late night has had on our politics and, and, and how as politics has changed, as you watched it changed, you know, you know, you were on the, uh, that's the CNN, uh, history of late night. And the more I watched you on that, the more I went like, man, I got to get John on and and talk about what, how the period that we're in right now, how's that impacting and the same massive shift that's happening in, in late night on, on comedy. How's that, How's that all? How do you see it right now?
1: Yeah. Uh, first of all, that, that story of late night, I love for the fact because I finally realized the importance of makeup <laughs> and, and how important that is. And I'm now wearing it constantly.
0: I wish people could see this.
1: I'm basically 25 years old and look like a Nordic guy. <laughs> and, you know, with late night, you know, you start with again, we, we would have started watching Johnny Carson. And Johnny's monologue was not political. And it really spoke, you know, Johnny spoke to universal things and basic things that, you know, we all connected with. And then when Jay took over, it was the same time that cable news was going 24-7. And people were really getting, so Jay's monologue was, had a lot of politics. He commented, unlike Johnny. But it was very balanced. I always say Democrats thought Jay was Republican and Republicans thought he was Democrat. Right. Somebody did count once. I think there was 13,000 jokes about Democrats and 9,000 about Republicans. So 22,000 jokes over 22 years. Well, it turns out that a Democrat was president for 13 of those years and a Republican for nine. So Jake kind of, you know, Jay's theory was, I'm gonna speak to the universal, to the common thing. What's stupid about this? What's stupid about government? And you always make fun up. You know, the emperor has no clothes. And what's changed is again, We always found what I think the common thread there. So for example, when in 2009, 10, whatever, when Obamacare passed, you know, people were split on Obamacare, obviously still are, but we didn't talk about Obamacare per se as healthcare. It was when the rollout came out and it was a disaster. That's something everyone can agree on. So you make fun of that common thread. Then that's changed. You know, and, you know, again, if you're as good as you are as a Stephen Colbert, there are 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump who probably are not going to ever watch your show because you're coming and they know kind of what you're going to say. And there's, you know, so today with Late Night, you're limiting your audiences you're kind of, you know, you are a Democrat, you're a Republican. And I think that's the big change. And that's why the audience, one of the reasons I think the audiences have dipped.
2: John, why do you think it is that that, that it's harder or maybe just perceive that it's harder for conservatives or Republicans to, to kind of have the same kind of success as a Colbert
1: or even a Jon Stewart? I guess I would say now, especially, a lot of them don't accept facts as facts. There's not that universal agreement. I mean, if, if, if you believe the earth is flat. <laughs> you know, there's not much I can do to convince you about what's funny and and there's just a again, I think there's always been a need for a a a late nighter who has a more conservative bent, but they've never been able to crack through with what's funny because they tend to get extraordinarily political. I mean, it's not a joke to say that President Obama's blank or that that Joe, Joe Biden is Blank and just to attack, and what happens is it becomes attack mode rather than comedy. My question was always this where's the joke? what's funny and they tend and either counts whether it's the far left or right to not hit the joke but just to make to try to make a point
2: well how do, how do you get and, and this is something that I think we've all been thinking about the last couple of years. I feel like it's harder to be funny now with the stakes what that what they are so how do you Approach that now with the stakes just as high as they are.
1: I mean, again, the stakes are high, and also as a comic, you rest the danger of being canceled or something. I mean, I Ricky Gervais, who's a friend and who I've written for a number of times, always said the problem today is that people confuse the subject of the joke with the target of the joke. So his argument is, if I'm making a joke that starts with Bill Cosby, I'm not, you know, saying that he's a good guy. I'm not making fun of the victim. I'm making fun of Bill Cosby. He is the target of the joke. And, but the problem is people here, it's like the old thing used to be, you never use the word cancer in a joke. You know, because many the people hear cancer, they go, oh my God, you know? And again, you have a number of comics have to self-edit. And once you self-edit, you've got a problem. It's why Chris Rock, you know, who I love and work have worked for a number of times in a number of years. And he doesn't want to do college campuses. Because you have to be so careful and self-edit, and once you start doing that, you're losing the funny. I
2: don't know if you saw this, but uh, this past week uh, it came out that Andrew Yang's mayoral campaign turned down Dave Chappelle doing free shows for them because they were worried about how controversial he was.
1: It's insane, Uh, (laughs) insane. I mean, first of all, uh, Chappelle is 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 a genius. I got to do the. uh, I was actually going to wear my Mark Twain Prize Dave Chappelle shirt. Uh, today but since we're not being seen it didn't really matter uh i love chappelle He's very funny and to not take advantage of somebody who would attract people to you that might not normally be attracted under the you know under the threat well dave might say something that offends two percent of the people well comedy does offend you know there's a target you know when you tell a joke there is a target you are making fun of somebody or something and i always like and you know people always say to me well, how do you come up with that stuff? And I think I come actually from a Leno philosophy, which is you enter the room and the first thing normal people do is go, oh, let's look around. A com- comedy writer comedian comes in and goes, what's stupid about this? What's really dumb?
0: So what, well, maybe this is the wrong time to go into this, but when you see, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens out there, I mean, the, the QAnon, Right, conspiracies and things like that. Does, I mean, is it almost too easy to make fun of them, or is it again? You're still by doing that, you're 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 shrinking your audience. I mean, or, or, uh,
1: I, well, again, when it's that extreme, I don't think you're really shrinking the audience that much. And you know, the problem, not the problem, the challenge with that is you don't want to go for the low hanging fruit. You don't want to just okay. The again, I always say. It's too easy to make a, a joke that Donald Trump has bad hair. That's too easy. And, you know, you want to get, again, one of the reasons that not, of course, that I ever made a joke about Bill Clinton. But if I had, you know, Bill was multi-dimensional. There was a lot of things you could do about him. You know, so early on, the little hanging fruit is, oh, he eats at McDonald's. You know, that was it. Or, you know, he has a little trouble in his marriage. But when you go to the what they said and try to go into it deeper, that's where the great comedy comes from. That's why I think Bill Maher is brilliant. I love Maher. Uh, I love Kimmel. I mean, I like a lot. All the late night people have something that appeals to me. But those two particularly, I think Kimmel has a great monologue. I think Maher really goes into things in depth in a way that makes you laugh and think at the same time.
2: So you mentioned Donald Trump's hair which which is one of the questions that when we were talking about we wanted to talk to you about which was there when jimmy fallon like messed up trump's hair and kind of tousled his hair on on live tv i mean he got just crucified for it and then obviously they had trump hosting snl i mean was that backlash justified i mean looking back or, or was there i mean was there comedic value there that that was clear
1: Let's let's separate them out. The backlash was not justified, and I don't think there was comedic value. Uh, so I, you know, those two things are not mutually exclusive in that case. The backlash. So he must his hair. What did millions of Americans say? You know, I was not going to vote for Donald Trump. You know, but Jimmy Fallon, or or are they go right. oh, Jimmy Fallon likes him, but I want to hear and wait to see what. Dave Chappelle has to say. I don't make my decision just on one late night host or comic. I want to see what 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 Dane Cook has to say before I make my decision. No, I mean, I, if you're making your decision based on what a late night host says or does, I think you get a problem. Again, when, they always say when Johnny Carson started to make reference to Vietnam War, America turned a little bit. I think America was turning and you know it gets I always call it the thermo, thermometer versus the thermostat. Are you affecting things with a thermostat? Or are you reflecting what's out there with a thermometer? And I think the answer is both.
2: Well, it, we do it it does even today we ascribe so much weight to comedians, especially late night hosts. there's this huge high standard for them. Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, well, I think one sense is just like there was the generation of Johnny and then Jay and Dave and then John Stewart really took things to changing things to another level. And there was that study, whatever, you know, which said that X percent of people now get their news from Jon Stewart. Well, how many people, I love John, but how many people watched him? Three million, five million? I think that that was a bit exaggerated, the number. And, but it also reflects the fact that, that we don't trust the news sometimes. And, you know, when you see somebody, again, the setup's always true. You're not making the setup up. The twist comes and they get to the joke. But when I say that today George W. Bush said blank, that's a fact. And you are getting that particular thing from him. I think we probably ascribe too much to the power of late night. Yes, there was the Colbert factor when he would say something, he could raise money for people and money would come in, something like that. But I think it's probably a little bit exaggerated.
0: Well, you know, like on we've done a lot of talking in the last few. You know, episode month or so about sort of the world that we're in, where people we had these two sane parties, or what we thought were two sane parties, for you know our whole lives, and one's now been taken over by sort of this authoritarian, you know, stop voting, you know, suppress voting, and all that stuff. Um, and and it's like this this delusion that we're still in a world where you know, the two parties exist and they can find common ground and, you know, reach across party lines and get things done. And that matched against like really sounding the alarm that, wait, this party is like January 6th, you know, and in the, in the fact that, you know, that's becoming more authoritarian uh, and they're, you know, changing laws now to, to actually, you know, be able to, to change results in elections in states and things like that. Does comedy, does late night have any role? I mean, I, not t- in taking sides, but in kind of raising that that authoritarian, you know, the the, the danger out there. I guess. Is, you know. I,
1: I, and I, I think it's a great point, Joe. You made. And it can it can and should, but it doesn't yet because when you enter with a completely partisan background, again, You're right. we don't need to change the minds. Of Democrats in terms of January 6, we need to change the minds of the common sense Republicans out there who might have voted for Trump for God knows whatever reasons. But if they're not watching and if they feel we're coming in just with a a, a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel, you want people. What what I think we need is uh, what we need are late night hosts who use less of the sledgehammer, more of the scalpel, and more to have that I, I guess it used to be 60%. What was it that, you know, that, that group in the middle that's no longer 60, but people to go laugh and go, that's kind of a point right there. Like so I always say one of my favorite jokes of all times is Chris Rock, who goes, whenever you're one thing or another, you're just wrong. He goes, take me. He goes, when it comes to crime, I'm a conservative. When it comes to prostitution, I'm a liberal. <laughs> and again, you're laughing because it's Chris talking about himself. But he's making the point that you can't be all one thing or another. Right. And yeah, most brilliant comics that ever lived, if not one of the time. I mean, again, I'm lucky to work for the best. And you know, you need a Chris Rock to make some points out there, uh, which he does. I'd love to see Chris have a late night show, but he's too busy making movies and acting in Fargo and Saw and and uh, everything to do that.
0: So let me ask you you uh, clearly, I think, uh, were involved in debate prep for Biden in the, this last go around. And I think for Amy Globachar in the, in, the in the primary. In the primary, yeah. Is there a similar skill set? I mean, is there something in debate prep that, that you, you gain some insight from, you know, the years in, in comedy or? Uh, or- 100%. 100%. Uh,
1: and, you know, and I've done it in different levels. I mean, you know, with, you know, John Kerry, I was more in the room you know, with Amy, I was more in the room with, with president, with Joe Biden sent, you know, vice president by the time I was more just, yeah, emailing in, you know, right. but yeah, it's because you're looking again, as you know, for a debate prep, the line is that turn line, right. You know, you say this and I say this, you know, again, we all know our references are the Lloyd Benson line, which was, I wish we had been mine, which is not, you know, as I think it was Michael Sheehan's. Um, or maybe fifty other people take credit. It doesn't matter, um, and that's that's a comedy. That's a comedian's line. Uh, it's the turnabout. I had a line for uh, for Carrie in two thousand four, which was uh, uh, W was going around saying you can run but you can't hide. You can run but you can't hide. And I, my line back was you know, Mr. President, that's a line about Joe Lewis about Billy Kahn and a fight in nineteen forty one. But I remember a line from the great Muhammad Ali in the rumble in the jungle against George Foreman. Where he turned to Foreman in the sixth round and said, is that all you got, George? Well, is that all you got on healthcare care independence? It's not funny, but it's but, the jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Again, in the end, it's the Reagan line of, you know, I won't hold my opponent's age, relative youth and inexperience against them.
0: Yeah, that was a great line against Mondale. I was there. I was on Mondale's staff at the yeah. time and it was just, oh, killer line.
1: Yeah, and that and that that's a comedy writer's line without necessarily again, you're not laughing out. Yeah, they're a laugh-out line. I did one for Biden in two thousand six, seven. It was the first debate of the year. Uh was it with Obama at the time, and I think he was it was a debate with Brian Williams, and uh, they asked for some help, and I said, look, he's gonna be asked in the first question or second question, do you talk too long? Do you speak too long? Do you go on too long? Uh, you know, do you have trouble controlling your mouth? And I said to, and I, uh, uh, oh, it was uh, Joe Piccarello. Uh, if you might remember, asked me for help on it. And the line I said, is said, whatever the answer is, he's got to give a yes or a no and shut up.
0: Right. He's exactly. Uh, no. Nope.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I forget what it was, but whatever it is, he said it. And then everyone started to laugh. And you could tell, of course, that Joe was just shaking, trying to say something else. That's the sort of thing. And it's that same instinct. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. You know, one of the things, I mean, from my own experience, not not coming at it from the comedian, you know, the way you, you think about it, but it's the same thing. I mean, that people think debate prep is, is a guy studying every policy under the sun. Uh, and I've seen a lot of, you've been there, you've seen a lot of a lot of campaigns and their staffs, that's how they prep them. Uh, And it's a disaster every time you do that. It's prepping to create the moment or, or to be, to predict that the guy is going to say this and that's your moment where, and if you, if you go into debate prep and, and it's been my experience, if you go into debate prep with three or four of those, I mean, really good kind of where you've got the, you enough intuition to understand what's likely to come and then, and then have that moment that, that wins. Every debate that's won is usually it's that kind of moment and that kind of press. All the
1: moments, you know, it's, it's, you know, if they send me uh, a list saying, here's 50 things we might ask, I'll write 300 lines with the idea of pick three.
0: Right. Yes, exactly.
1: I used to write a hundred jokes a day for Jay. If four got on, it was a great night. I was rejected. As I said, I got 18,000 jokes on late night. I wrote 500,000. That means 482,000 jokes are in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, people go, could you ever reuse them? No, they're topical jokes. It's, you can't do It's so hot today in December. I mean, it's, you know, unless you're in Australia.
2: Absolutely. Right. So this is really for both of you. What have you guys seen in, in when you're working with candidates over the years when you kind of hit that moment in debate prep or even when you're talking to them and you, you kind of realize, you know, that is what will make you successful what, from, from candidates in the
1: past? The, to me, it's the ability to deliver a line, to make a point with economy of words. That are, It's a comedy thing. Economy of words. Impactful. And if, whether it's a punchline or an end of an important line in a debate end on the most important words don't don't make your point and then trickle on for another eight words you know hit it and do it and again it's show business you know my my one of my close friends marty short who i write for in love and again makes me laugh more than just about anybody you know said you know why don't they understand that they you know they have to have good makeup and good lighting and you know it's It's show business in a lot of ways and you know the candidates who get that to me who understand that that uh, that their hour on TV or whatever it may be in a debate and those key moments that Joe pointed out those four, four things that's what really matters. If you get that, you know they got it
0: yeah if it's me it's if they get that they the moment they, they get that it's not about researching every policy that it is about creating and being ready with the moment and being able to execute that. You know, Dick Gephardt uh, did debate prep with him when he was running for president with Paul Begala, um, friend of John's. I know from from back in those days, and still probably. And he literally, what you learned about him is he had like a tape recorder. Literally, he could he would literally. We didn't understand that he was literally getting every single thing Paul or I had had said to him, or and Donna Brazil too was uh, was on that debate. Team. And, and so the moment came that we'd all been talking about when this moment comes but you're only supposed to do one and he yeah. did like he did like this string of like and it was devastating I mean because he did them all like in a row at Paul Simon
1: with a bow tie?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah He Oh, you've got it exactly right he just and he kept that I think that line came from Paul anyway he just kept doing it and it was like it was just like a, an axe murder
1: <laughs> It's, uh, like, it's like it did it worked Charlie paul
0: Danging. yeah it really hurt simon you know it was over, but it's over it's like
1: watching rodney dangerfield bam, yeah. bam, bam, <laughs> bam. it's uh yeah it's it's debate prep you know it's those moments again when you go into debate prep and expect the candidate to memorize wikipedia Yeah, it's not gonna work it's they, gonna be horrible. they all go in with way too much and i always start with this whenever a democrat Whenever we say as Democrats that our candidates smarter than the other one, we lose. We, we, we lose. It's it doesn't matter. Jimmy Carter was smarter than Ronald Reagan. Yes, he was. It didn't matter.
0: You know, but you think about you think about that Reagan debate, right? They knew you had to be an idiot to not know that Reagan was going to get asked about his age. Right. It was it had been the whole Thing, and it was out there the whole time. He was gonna get asked in that debate about your age. He didn't have to study everything and every policy or understand nuclear arms, all that other stuff. All he needed was that one line. I mean, in other words, if you took the whole rest of that debate away, the only thing anybody remembers from that entire debate is that one single line. That's what won him the debate. That was the only moment anybody reported about anybody talked about and the only one we still remember today so when you think about debate prep that way it, it is it's about having you could you have five of those in your pocket
1: you know uh, think of the great movies that, that, that you love let's just take because we all love the godfather and something we could repeat 10 lines from that movie and that movie was from 1972 Right. And we still remember those lines if you're from that generation. You don't always remember the fact that Sonny was here and whatever. Although Tracy Morgan is a friend did tell me a great line one day. He came up to me and he said, do you realize that Sonny Corleone had a fast pass? He'd be alive today. And I just thought <laughs> that, you know, when he went through the toll booth, I just thought <laughs> that that was just a brilliant line. But we remember whether it's a movie. And again, when you're trying to sell a movie, you go in, they 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 want the memorable set pieces. They want what's this scene? The the whole script is great, but they come down to the five or six scenes that you always remember. If you like the movie Tombstone, I'm your Huckleberry, you know, it's things like that.
0: Yeah, no, well, the one that probably rings true for for both of us is is uh, every time I think I've gotten out, they.
2: They pull me back, back in.
1: in, which is, by the way, what I said when I first got asked to do debate prep after I left to do right, comedy. Exactly that- right.
2: So you mentioned this earlier about politicians who the the all, oftentimes the successful ones understand that it's showbiz in a lot of ways, and and I think we can all agree Trump understood that from right away. Yes. So how do you prepare for that? How, if you're advising, and you, you were in the room here, so how do you prepare for a debate against Donald Trump?
1: Uh, you know, I, I wasn't physically in the room, but I was remotely in the room for many reasons. But like, you, you, you basically, again, for example, if Hillary Clinton in 19, 2016, 19, she's not that old, uh, 2016, when Trump walked over behind her, if she just turned around and said, will you just get away from me, you creep? <laughs> every woman in america would have gone uh-huh that's my boss i get it but instead you had nothing you know and on the other hand we look at, at al gore in 2000 you know not realizing he was on camera the whole time and eye rolling and making all those grimaces and so you 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 really do need people like joe and and people like michael sheen and people who understand those basics give them your on camera here's what you need to do here's what you need to prepare for here's the point you need to make you need good hair you need good makeup yeah maybe it's superficial but it matters to people so i it, and it's very hard out to if you got someone who doesn't get it it's very hard to you know to teach them how to do it if you're going to be a switch hitter in baseball you better start young not when you're 32 years old
2: right well i mean you look at 2020 right where i mean that he did the same thing every debate which was essentially yell and talk over and just say no you didn't no you didn't no you didn't the, the whole time how on earth are you supposed to try to get a moment in when he's essentially
1: blowing up the playbook um, I, to me you know again and and i think that, that joe was ready with a number of lines to use but at some point you know if you, if you got someone who's really embarrassing themselves back away and you know um and again in that sense when somebody's that loud it's very hard to get that line you know again you're dealing with an irrational person how do you deal rationally or funny i think maybe you just kind of yeah here take my microphone so you're twice as loud that's almost you know that's actually not a bad line i wish i thought of it oh i will Uh, (laughs) you just did Somewhere down the line, 2024, whoever wants it, it's up for grabs. If you're listening, um, it's it, it's it's you know again. There's some things that can't be solved. Yeah, and I think for something like that, people try to solve Donald Trump. So you just let him be a withering idiot.
0: Well, it's like trying to debate Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, you know, just let her go. I mean, you know, trying to it, it kind of makes the point. Let let him let him talk twice as loud and twice as long.
1: Yeah, exactly. And again, because it, it, under the theory that people who like Marjorie Taylor Greene are not going to shift, right? people who hate her are not going to shift, but that X number who maybe didn't like her opponent or maybe new voters, whatever, might look and go, she's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she is really crazy. Just, you know, and again, there's levels of craziness, there's fun craziness, and then there's crazy. Really crazy. Yeah. I know we're not supposed to use that word anymore, so let me shake she's eccentrically loud.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. So I did want to ask one last. You know, the you talked. We talked about this a little bit, but the cancel cancel culture thing, where you know it's it's so limiting that you have to start worrying about whether you're going to say the use the word crazy or or not. Has, has it really? Is that really impacted late night I mean is it more fragmented late night in other words, so that people are starting to pick where they can you know, are there are we starting to see lanes in late night I guess is lack, lack of a better way of putting it
1: I, I well I think the lanes might have been bigger over the last few years I'm hoping that the it, this is my optimism that hasn't left that the lanes start to merge a little bit that we can come to a common agreement that that you know that you know I, I guess that Let's look at again, get back to what's the stupid about what's stupid about government, what's stupid about Congress as a whole. Not are you for Marjorie Taylor Greene or against her? So, I'm a little hopeful with that. I'm not sure that it's going to happen. Uh, and then, but in terms of cancel culture, I find that you know, a lot of comics out there are really looking at everything they're about to say now and editing. So, what you'll see is this. When you get a comic on a talk show or whatever, where they're prepared, but they're getting questions, they're more likely to say something that that gets them in trouble, worries them. If they're doing their acts, not the Chris Rocks whatever, but other, not the Dave Chappelle's for example, but many others are self-censoring in advance. Like, I'm not sure I can do that joke. And then once you start to do that, where I go with this, is it funny? Did it, you know, if it's funny in the room, it should be funny on stage. Again, nobody wants to make, you know, again, it's wrong to make fun of people because of their ethnic background or color or things like that, and we want to stay away from that. But If we go to the broader, universal things, make fun of them, we can, I think we can do that.
0: So, John, okay. uh, one thing, and then we'll, we'll wrap. I just want to uh, give you a chance to tell us what you're up to. Uh, you know, what yeah. you've been working on lately and uh, where we can where we can look forward to seeing more of your work? Uh,
1: uh, the uh, Well, I'm doing the Flegelman Bar Mitzvah next week. I'm the MC. It's very big. I do balloon animals. I think you'll, the Flegelman's have loved it for years. I do all their grandchildren. But then I'm doing the uh, July 4th PBS of Capital Fourth, uh, oh, cool. which is the annual uh, July 4th show. I do great show. Vanessa Williams is the host, uh, a lot of great talent. I'm doing uh, with Jay and Kevin Eubanks, You Bet Your Life, which is uh, syndicated starting September 13th uh, in the fall, 180 uh, shows we're doing. Uh, it's it's a great, it's a comedy show with a little game wrapped around it uh, and 100% non-political. Is it, uh, is it
0: a takeoff from the gradual Marks show? It's a, or is you Bet it... Your Life,
1: it's, 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 it's a slightly rebooted, revised format uh, and updated, but it really is two contestants getting together, playing together for, you know, to win a very limited amount of money. Uh, I call it who wants to be a hundred air. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but it's a fun game. It's going to, it's Jay talk. If you like Jay walking, if you like Tib interacting with people, that's what's going. That's what's uh, going to be great. And then, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple, I mean, that's really the main things so because that'll take me to October. Oh, uh, and then uh, the American Film Institute tribute to Julie Andrews. Um, I've done the AFI tribute. I, the first one I did was with a mutual friend of ours, Warren Beatty. I did in 2008, which uh, involved sitting at Warren's house every night, watching all his movies with him as he'd stop every eight seconds and tell me some story about somebody who I didn't know. So uh, the day we went to watch Reds, I said, Warren, I can't do this. <laughs> it's a good, said good it call four, said it took us four hours to watch heaven can wait i could be here for a week to see reds but uh i've done that every year and it's julie andrews this year so those are the big things coming up
0: cool man now we'll, we'll look forward to that and let us know because we'll put put someone when they when that when uh they come out, we'll put the links in our, in our, in our show notes.
1: Fantastic. I will. Joe, this has been great. Alex, Antonio, everyone. this has been fantastic. I love doing this. It's so much fun. It's great to see you again. It really, it's really is. It's
0: great to see you too, John. It really is. You Thanks for it. doing it. Take care. We'll be back this Friday at the usual time as always, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. Um, you know, folks, if you've been enjoying the show, please tell your friends, um, You know, even send them an email with a link. That'd be really helpful. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review section on iTunes. We'll see you next Friday. Thanks again for listening. I hope this one was fun for y'all, as fun as it was for me and Alex. El
1: drama de los impuestos ya empezó
0: Ya no, porque Boost Mobile te da gratis un Samsung Galaxy A23 5G cuando te cambias y con el poder de las redes 5G más grandes del país.
1: No más drama que será de mí. Cámbiate
0: a Boost y llévate un Samsung Galaxy A23 5G gratis.
1: Oferta por tiempo limitado. Solo a nuevos clientes disponible en ciertas redes. El servicio 5G no está disponible en todas partes. Un dispositivo por línea excluye impuestos. Aplican restricciones adicionales. Visita una tienda para detalles.